Welcome to the fourth episode here of the JR Takes Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jonah Hoffman. And I'm Ryan Rogers. Ryan, what are we about to dive into today? We are about to talk some Seahawks draft picks, which, spoiler alert, I am fucking stoked on this draft. I think, <laughs> you know, granted, it's it's Sunday afternoon after the draft, so one day after it concluded, but I haven't felt this good the day after a Seahawks draft in a decade. Yeah, honestly. I don't know if I've ever... Well, I don't know if I've ever felt this good about the Seahawks draft just because we haven't really had a necessary draft like this yeah and like you were saying probably since 2010 when we drafted russell okung and so oh yeah i mean it was i will say when we drafted charles cross initially i was i was pretty stone-faced you know i was like huh that is not the guy i really wanted i was hoping for a jermaine johnson or Mm. an evan neal or an uh, Equanu type of player, but then I, you know, I, I uh, slept on it and uh, had time to process it, and I am really excited for yeah. Charles Cross. I mean, I was watching some of his highlight reels at uh, Mississippi State, and he just looks really nimble on his feet. Uh, he's not the biggest guy out there, but sometimes, you know, the Seahawks have always been speed and athleticism, and uh, I mean, the guy ran a four nine five forty. He's got some pretty long arms there at 34 and a half inches. Huge hands, too. 10 and 3 quarters. That's almost 11-inch hands. <laughs> That's monstrous. Yeah. My hands, I feel like I have pretty, for, you know, a normal human being, my, my hands are, like, just over 9 inches. Mm-hmm. Two inches long. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm just really excited about this guy. I watched, uh, you know, the uh, he posted a little, he made a little Twitter post uh, the night of getting drafted. And I was still in the mood of, I'm kind of disappointed with our pick. And then I watched that, and he seemed so happy and, like, excited to be a part of this franchise. You know, he gave a shout-out to the 12s, and that just kind of got me fired up a little bit. I was like, all right, you know what? I'm all in on this kid. Yeah, I am. I'm excited. I am ready to be in love with Charles Cross for a decade. (laughs) I am stoked. And yeah, so um, I'm sure you've already heard this a little bit, but he's got a, I didn't realize this until yesterday, uh, he's got a basketball background. So um, you see he has a 26-inch vertical, which for someone that weighs 307 pounds, that's that's really impressive. Um, and yeah, I mean, you watch him play and he, I know he's 307 pounds, but he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily look that heavy. So that means a lot of his weight is, you know, probably muscle mass and a lot more, uh, nimble than you would expect for someone that's just so massive. I mean, did you see the press conference with, uh, him and Pete Carroll and John Schneider? I, I did hear a little bit of it. Yes. Um, they all stood up and John Schneider looks like a child next to Charles Cross. <laughs> it's 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 funny. You you'll have to see that. Um so yeah, he's he's a wall of a human. Um he's going to make Drew Locke or, you know, God forbid Geno Smith their life a lot easier next season. And, you know, for whether Drew Locke is the guy for the future, or we get a we get a rookie next year, whatever happens at the quarterback situation, I think it's maybe it's not harder to define um a tackle than it is a quarterback but for the Seahawks it's it has been <laughs> for a long time you know we we obviously had Wilson who was amazing for for years and years but um Dwayne Brown was a great player for us um pro bowl level player fell off kind of a cliff last year in terms of his production and protection but um it is just such a valuable commodity in this league to have a plus guy like not just a warm body at the left tackle position but someone that's going to be dominant and i i really do think charles cross could be an all pro pro bowler type of player well and one of my uh initial complaints that i kind of didn't really consider when the when the pick went down was charles cross is known for his pass blocking ability and i was like well why did we go after uh an offensive tackle that is more of a pass blocker than a run blocker. And that's not to say he can't do both. Mm. Like, and I, I, I was just a little bit, you know, um, confused by the pick initially, but then 
obviously, like I said, gave it some time to think about. And yeah, I'm super excited for Charles Cross to be part of this team. And I think, too, uh, everyone, you know, across the internet complaining about, well, why didn't we uh, draft off? Why didn't we address offensive line needs when we had Russ? We did. We, we yeah, we, we traded made... for Dwayne Brown. And we traded for Gabe Jackson. You know, yep. we drafted Damian Lewis, who's been pretty dang good, I would say. Um, we we made it. We tried a ton of different things at the offensive line. It's just, I'm sorry, it's hard to get premium uh, pass protectors when you're picking in the 20s or not at all. Um, I think the biggest mistake management made during the Wilson era was trading away all their capital for win now moves and then having the win now moves not work out. Like you think of JV on Clowney, you think of, um, one, wh- one guy that comes to my mind is Jimmy Graham. Oh yeah. I uh, because who'd we give up for Jimmy Graham? Max Unger. Yep. And he, I think doesn't get a lot of enough credit for being like the anchor yeah. of that offensive line when we were, in our glory days of yeah. the 2012, 2013, 2014 seasons. Mm-hmm. Max Unger was, he was the man. He and was. And funny enough, he was the best decision that the administration preceding Pete Carroll made. Because mm-hmm. he was drafted by uh, Jim Mora's uh, front office. Mm. Um, but um, anyways, yeah. So I, I, I think those win now trades coupled with the fact that the Seahawks were always, you know, divisional round and out typically every year, it, it makes it harder to draft because it's not just the first round. It's the second and third and fourth and fifth. You're, you're picking way lower um, at each round. So the good guys are gone. Um, not to make excuses for Schneider. I mean, I like Dwayne Eskridge, but picking him over a now all pro center and Creed Humphrey last year was why'd you do that? Um, so I meant to say this at the beginning, but I, I think this 2022 draft was an absolute must win for Pete Carroll and John Schneider to sort of regain the trust of the fan base. And I came into it ready to shit all over them. I was ready to be extremely critical of this draft. And here I am one day later. I, I mean, it's none of these guys have played a single snap at the NFL yet, but I, Again, I think this is the best draft in a decade. Um, so let's let's keep moving through it. Uh, once again, excited about Charles Cross. Let's go on to Boye Mafe, the edge rusher out of... Minnesota? Yes. Minnesota edge rusher Boye Mafe with the 40th overall pick. <laughs> now, to turn back the clock to Saturday morning, or Friday uh, afternoon, rather, uh, Jonah and I were... <laughs> Sitting there thinking, man, is Malik Willis going to fall to pick 40? Like, are we going to get a chance to select Malik Willis here? Because, you know, in round one, it, it seemed like a reach to pick nine. But this is that was a guy that we thought we were, was easily going to go round one, if not top ten. And as the uh, draft went on, obviously that turned out not to be the case. But my in-the-moment reaction to the 40 and 41 picks my emotions were the way they were because I was hoping for Malik Willis. However, um, Boye Mafe is actually someone I was really hoping we would draft in at one of those two picks. It was him and Ebiketti, and there was one more guy I liked as an edge rusher at this point, if we didn't do that at nine. Because um, Mafe, I mean, he, he's a little raw. He's got he's got some work to do, but great measurables. Uh, I mean, a 4-5-3, 40-yard dash at six foot four, two sixty one. that's really impressive. Um, big hands, long arms, lengthy, um, very good vertical jump. 38 inches is crazy. Yeah, that's insane. He's going to be swatting that ball down Yeah, a couple times throughout, I expect. Mm-hmm. And I love that we're just, you know, like pairing him with Daryl Taylor. I don't think you can have too many guys on, a, on the roster that can rush the passer. So you pair him with Daryl Taylor and uh, Alton Robinson, who flashes. And I think we got the start of a great, great pass rush rotation, which, God, the, since 2018, it has been so frustrating watching our defense just not generate any push or any pressure on quarterbacks for, like, whole quarters at a time. I mean, you remember the Titans game this last year where it seemed like Ryan Tannehill could make a pot of tea in the pocket before he had got into trouble. Yeah, and I think uh, in... 
I don't know the exact numbers on this, but the past couple seasons, uh, I want to say the past two seasons, we've really struggled at getting off the field on defense. Yeah. And I and I think that has to do with not getting to the quarterback and allowing all these short passes and just wearing down our defense. And, I mean, it just would happen game in, game out. And we had really no answer for it because we didn't have a pass rush. Yeah. And I think going back to even the Legion of Boom days, I think... I mean, the Legion of Boom will always be remembered and respected and, you know, have a place in my heart as a Seahawks fan. But Goated. really, you forget about the dogs we had on our line and in the trenches. We had Red Bryant, who was an, a massive human being. Yeah. And, I mean, we had Chris Clemens. We had Brandon Meebane. We mm-hmm. had all these guys that really don't get the credit where credit is due. Yeah, I even think of someone like Tony McDaniel, you know, mm-hmm. a, a uh, forgotten yeah, man yeah. in the Legion of Boom defense. He was but a big boy. Yeah, he was a great contributor. Um, you know, and the, yeah, you mentioned Chris Clemens, obviously Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett. Those, Cliff Averill, Those yeah. were the two, those two superstars. Cliff Averill was the strip sack man. I think mm-hmm. he led the NFL in strip sacks for, with his with his kicking pads. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or, or Bennett had had the had the or kicking yeah, pads. Michael Bennett. Yeah, he yeah. had the, the kicker. He was hilarious. Pads. He, I think, he was so good at pass rushing just because he was offsides on every play. <laughs> but um, yeah, Boye Mafe. Um, I I think the sky's the limit with this kid. I I really love the uh, prospect of pairing him with Daryl Taylor. Um, so I I think we got an exciting future there. He's he's someone that was on my draft board for sure. And uh, as you'll continue to see throughout this draft, it was really weird watching this draft unfold because almost every single pick we made was someone that at some point in the last six weeks I was like, oh, it'd be great if that guy somehow fell to us, and it just kept happening. Um, so anyways, let's move on to the next pick, which, uh, my reaction to was, are you kidding me? Uh, it was, you know, um, I think we both were expecting a guy by the name of Malik to be drafted here. Yes. And when we didn't hear (laughs) ma at the end and rather kuh. Enneth Walker, we were both like, bro. I I was devastated for about like fifteen minutes. Um, but then I, I I can't say it's a bad process to not take a quarterback this year because none of them, even Malik Willis, who is obviously super talented, he's nowhere near ready to start in the NFL and play against you know Aaron Donald and T.J. Watt and Jalen Ramsey and all these you know, super smart defensive coordinators that are going to confuse you. So um, anyways, Kenneth Walker, I actually am really, really, really excited about. And the closest physical comp to him in the last few years is Jonathan Taylor, which, man, how can you not be excited about that? I know we got Rashad Penny, um, but it's sort of like a, you know, you'd rather have an embarrassment of riches at a position like running back, especially considering how often they get injured, than a couple guys. Well, and you got to think about it too. The two starters before Kenneth Walker, you have to assume, are going to be Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Mm-hmm. And both of them have injury history. I mean, yep. Chris Carson broke his neck last year, and Rashad Penny, I mean, I could give you a laundry list of injuries he's had since yeah. he's been into the league. Serious ones and, too. And so you really you really can never have too many running backs. Um and I don't know, just something about yeah, he he's got a build kind of like uh Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, they have a well. very similar let me look up Jonathan Taylor's uh, height weight real quick. Yeah, because I know Jonathan Taylor's not big. He's he's I think he's like around five ten. He is five ten and 226. Kenneth Walker is 5'9", 211. So similar. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor is a little little closer. But uh, yeah, Kenneth Walker ran a 4'3", And man, having another running back, because I think Chris Carson is like a 4'6", mm-hmm. kind of runner. He's, he's, not a, he's not a home run threat. Um, but the thing about Kenneth Walker is he's just as powerful as Chris Carson. I mean, he... he had a thousand yards after contact last season. That's that's mind blowing. Well, one thing I noticed uh, when we drafted Kenneth Walker and uh, 
and I was watching his highlights, he seemed to uh, bounce off of tackles a lot, like mm. you were just saying about yards after contact. He yeah. As the spin moves, down. he's he's a I mean he's a quick little guy. So I'm I'm just excited to see uh, what he can do in our backfield next year, especially if we're it. Let's let's hope in a in a perfect situation, all three of our guys are healthy, right? Yeah. Well, you have I've, him, Rashad Penny, and Chris Carson all rotating in and out of the offense. I really like those odds. Yeah, and I mean, think of this. Think of goal line situations where. Um, we'll get to these guy. We'll get to this next guy in a minute here. But you have um, Charles Cross at left tackle and Abraham Lucas at right tackle, and you put Jake Curhan as tight end on whatever side. Like we used to, you remember we used to do that with George Fant mm-hmm. and have an extra run blocker. Man, because uh, Curhan is already an elite run blocker in the NFL. He's just really bad at pass blocking, but. That is a really valuable commodity to have in the red zone with a Kenneth Walker or a Chris Carson and just, you know, pound it in from two yards out. I think the Seahawks have a chance to have an elite rushing offense next year, barring, you know, really unlucky injuries. Yeah, and you got to think, too. I mean, we were all confused and even I'll take you a step further, kind of pissed off when. Uh, they re-signed Will Disley for $8 million a year, but they must yeah. really like his blocking ability. Yeah. And they and must believe in the, the run game for next year. When I, and I think to that point, you know, m- most college offenses these days are, you know, air raid style where the, the tight end's just a big, tall receiver, essentially, and they're not blocking. So I think it's a little bit harder to find um, a Will Disley type that has great blocking chops. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm excited to see what Kenneth Walker brings to the table. Um, Pro Football Focus loved this pick, by the way. Um, they they are really high on Kenneth Walker, and Chris Sims uh, put him as his number one running back in the draft. So the consensus number one was definitely Brees Hall, but there was more than a few analysts out there that were saying Kenneth Walker is actually better than Brees Hall. Mm. Um, so yeah, I I can't wait, man. Let's. Let's let's have it be September already. I, I want to see Kenneth Walker with the ball in his hands. In uh, in the words of Russell Wilson, uh, "Let's ride." Yeah, <laughs> we'll cut that. You know, what is actually really funny is uh, uh, Rashad Penny tagged uh, Kenneth Walker in a poster. It might have been someone else on Twitter, and was mm-hmm. like, "Stoked, bro! Let's ride!" Like, I I think they're kind of making jokes about that. Um, That's awesome. They should be. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all good fun. I think, you know, everyone, you know, has some love for Russ. But anyways, uh, so round three, pick 72. Again, this was a spot where I'm like, holy shit, we have another chance to take Malik Willis here two rounds after I thought he would be available. And they didn't do it. But honestly, I, I wasn't like mad at that point. I was just like, man, maybe maybe we all just were overrating him because of what the media was was bringing forth and because of his combine measure um you know just the the fact that he's fast and really strong and has a big arm but at pick 72 the CLC Hawks selected Abraham Lucas which I think is a home run at the end of the third round I mean this is a guy I was I would have been fine with us taking at 41 um I mm-hmm. was actually kind of leaning on that in some mocks I was doing so the fact that we're able to get both of our tackles for the future in one draft, because some people had Abraham Lucas as high as a bottom of the first round. Great. Um, he's again, one of the more athletic tackles in this draft period. I mean, he's taller and heavier than Charles cross and ran a slightly faster 40 yard dash at four, two, nine or four, nine, four, two, nine, four, nine, two, um, huge hands, younger, uh, 23 years old. Um, and a, Again, good vertical jump and respectable amount of reps on the bench press. So, and I, I really like how we're approaching um, the rebuild with addressing the offensive line first. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, ten years ago, uh, twelve, ten, twelve years ago, whatever, whatever with it was, Okung? when we drafted Russell Okung, we had our center figured out. We had Russell Okung figured out, and Okung being the left tackle at the time, that was like something we really needed to because even a couple years prior when we got rid of Steve Hutchinson we kind of never really like 
figure that position out until Russell Okun came along a couple years down the road. Yeah, after Walter Jones retired. Yeah, yeah, and that was a that was a very necessary because Walter Jones was getting old and he was still our offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. I think a little bit after he should have been. Yeah, 2008 was a rough last season for him. Yeah, and so. I don't know. I'm I'm really excited uh, to see what Abraham Lucas can do at right tackle. And you know, do we still have Gabe Jackson? We do. He's yeah. right guard. Yeah. So I mean, I I don't know about you. I really like all of those players. And then the new guy we got out of uh, Austin Blythe. Yeah, uh, out of the St. Lu- or St. Louis, uh, <laughs> L.A. Rams. It's been a while since they were in St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I think, um, God, like having the rebuild go this well this quickly with shoring up the offensive line is it's totally unexpected and what I thought we were going to do. But man, I couldn't be happier about it. And I think Austin Blythe is someone we could definitely upgrade over. But he, I mean, he played for the Super Bowl participant 2018 Rams just a few years ago. Um, centers a position where you have longevity and he's familiar with the stuff that Shane Waldron wants to do. Not so. to mention he's also, I mean, better than Ethan Posick. He, well, and he's like older than all of these kids we're bringing in to play on the line. True. And the center is usually the leader of the offensive line. Mm. And so I don't know. I just, I really like all the combinations of all the types of players we're bringing in to, su- yeah. to plug in these holes. I, I actually I'm really think, looking forward to it. Yeah, and I mean, last year at the end of the year, our offensive line was really gelling, and they were run blocking like crazy. I mean, Rashad Penny was was being a freak, but coinciding with that is we were we were putting out some walls for him to run around. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm very excited about Abraham Lucas. I think he brings a lot to the table. I think both Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas right now are the immediate starters. And now we don't have to resign Dwayne Brown, who I mean I would have fine with us doing that, but I see no point in doing that now and spending the money that that's going to cost. Same with Brandon Shell. So we can move on from the aging veterans we had at our tackles and develop these kids and you know maybe one day we'll be like the 2014 cowboys and just have a badass offensive line that would be nice because we haven't like having a badass offensive line has not really been our regime since 2005 no and yeah and even when we won a super bowl it, it was the most expensive line in the league but i i would you'd hardly find someone saying the 2013 seahawks had the best line in the league yeah, they were good. They were a good line, but I mean, how many times did Wilson have to spin out of a free edge rusher, even on our Super Bowl run? So, yeah, very excited about the Abraham Lucas pick, which brings us to the fourth round. What probably my favorite pick, just because of the name, <laughs> <laughs> Kobe. Uh, yeah, Kobe Bryant. Um, he he's definitely not small by any means. They they went with their blueprint of getting the big corners in this draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, 6'1", 193, and uh, on, only twenty three years old. He played for Cincinnati on the opposite side of uh, Sauce Gardner. There, he ran a four five forty. So yeah, not elite speed, but I mean Richard Sherman ran a four five. So yeah, it's and- ob- it's you know demonstrable that it can be done at that speed level. Mm -hmm. I was a little bit upset when we draft or when we didn't draft uh, Andrew Booth uh, in the second round. But now that I look at, you know, the size and speed of the two corners that we did take uh, and their backgrounds, where they're coming from, Mm -hmm. I, I kind of put those thoughts to rest when I saw these guys and I was like, okay, maybe we could or the possibility of getting a diamond in the rough at corner in the later rounds is certainly a possibility um with with these guys that we picked up yeah so i gotta be honest this was my fucking dream scenario um i'll and we'll get into this next guy here in a little bit but um from day one i've been arguing with people on reddit that even if sauce gardner or um stingley falls to us Take an edge rusher or a tackle because you say what you want about Pete Carroll. That guy can coach up a fucking Staples employee to start at cornerback and do well. So and not I just uh, I guess personally for me, I don't I don't think the cornerback position, I although I think it's one of the hardest positions in the league and it's 
it is hard to find good like top 10 top five corners in the nfl i just don't think at number nine they should have gone corner i think they should have gone what they did and go safe in taking a top three tackle in charles cross or taking a defensive lineman which they didn't do but you know that that's fine i'm happy with the charles cross pick but because we hit it in round two yeah and and, five and i just i don't know i i really like the uh the combine measurements of kobe bryant (laughs) it's still weird to say um he also won the uh jim thorpe award for the best defensive back in the country I did not know that. Yeah. Um, but I just I just kind of assumed, you know, if you're coming out of off of a team in Cincinnati from college, I mean, when was the last time they were a top four team? Pretty recently, actually. They made the college playoff. I was it this it wasn't this last year. No, it was this last year. Oh, okay. They yeah. lost to Alabama. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Or maybe they did make it again. I don't think they did, did they? I, I can't remember, but it was like either this last season or the one before with Desmond Ritter and all these guys. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know when I when I think of Cincinnati and being good in recent years, I think of their basketball team. Their mm. their college basketball team was, I think, a one seed a couple of years ago in the NCAA tournament. So when I saw that they were, you know, doing really good in college football this past season, it really caught my attention and. Uh, Sauce Gardner, obviously, he was the the big name coming into right. this draft, um, and Kobe Bryant. <laughs> I'll I'll have to get used to that again. Yeah, like that's I said. that's gonna but be a fun name to have to say all the time for years. Kobe, uh, he, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say he was overlooked, but I mean, I didn't really know much about him as much as I did a guy like Sauce Gardner. Or even a guy like Desmond Ritter, the quarterback and the the face of that mm. Cincinnati team. I started to get more familiar with them as I went through my research with this. Because uh, to echo on what you were saying earlier, I mean, look at how many Georgia players got drafted. Like, when you have championship college teams, a lot of those, I mean, they get to that point because they have a ton of good players, not one or two. So I think it's smart process to you know, try to pick some of those guys off of the power five college teams. Um, And one thing that really, really stuck out to me about Kobe Bryant is I immediately thought, oh, he's playing on the opposite side of Sauce Gardner. He's going to get all the targets. And he did. And he held up extremely well for being targeted a lot. And he produced turnovers. He had nine interceptions in his time at Cincinnati and took one of them to the house. So when I, when I look for a corner, I want to make sure that guy knows how to play the ball and gets their head around. Because even as a you know non-athlete like myself, when I played football, I played safety and defensive back for years, um, you got to get your head around when the ball's in the air. Don't play the person, play the ball. And that's something Richard Sherman was amazing at. So it frustrates the hell out of me when you have a guy that's in position to make a pick and he just doesn't turn around. And then, yeah, because I... I don't know how many times we saw with like our pedestrian ass fucking cornerbacks that they would just, you know, not be looking back and just kind of throw their hands up, not playing the ball and then flag. Yeah. And it's just like so frustrating. Yeah. It's just turn around and it, it really isn't that hard. I mean, we play backyard football all the time and we make plays on each other. So it's, (laughs) yeah, And um, uh, this is not that's not a problem you're going to have with Kobe Bryant. He is a savvy player, um, seems like a smart guy, you know, doesn't have the physical attributes of his counterpart, um, Sauce Gardner. But I I think this is a guy, Kobe Bryant, that could see significant playing time this year, Mm -hmm. Um, which leads us into our next pick. And I got to say, this is this is maybe my favorite pick for our whole draft. And this is someone that I would have been fine with us taking at 40. Tariq Woolen. I don't know anything about this guy other than this here. He's six foot four, 205 pounds with 33 inch arms. He's only 22. And he ran a 426 40 yard dash and had a 42 inch vertical. That is one of the best combine performances. Ever. That's not an exaggeration to say. 
Oh, yeah, he almost broke the 40-time yeah, record. Only three players ever have clocked a faster 40-yard dash than 4.26 since 2003. And think of how many thousands of players have ran the 40 in that time frame. So we are talking about someone that, you know, is extremely raw. They were playing wide receiver a couple couple seasons ago, um, which I actually like, too, because... You know, we used to have a corner on our team that was very lanky and long that used to play wide receiver in Richard Sherman. Mm -hmm. And he turned, you know, we all know what Richard Sherman turned out to be. And not saying that Tariq Woolen is Richard Sherman. Honestly, there's no one like Tariq Woolen ever in this league besides like Randy Moss in terms of these measurables. Um, Having that size and length and athleticism in one human being is wow. In terms of upside. And who better to coach up a really raw freak athlete like this than Pete Carroll? Um, the thing is, you know, with with Woolen, he has just as much potential to be a Therald Simon as he does a Richard Sherman. You know, well, it remains to be seen what happens here. But at round five, pick 153, getting one of the players that excited me the most in this pre-draft process. Fucking home run, dude. A plus for the selection of Tariq Woolen. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on the whole, you know, he could be a boomer bust. Um, mm. just because you're getting a guy coming out of the University of Texas San Antonio. Yeah. Like uh... who who knows the type of competition and skill level they played against. Mm-hmm. I mean, I obviously you can figure it out if you dive in deeper to it. But at the same time, yeah, the the, the raw talent is there, uh, and the question marks are also there. But mm. the facts are this is a this is a big guy who can run very fast, who can jump very high. I like those odds. Yeah, worst case scenario, he's an amazing special teams gunner for us. Mm-hmm. That's that's And, I mean, think of Ricardo Lockett and how awesome he was at that. That's a valuable commodity on your team. And, and for the fifth round, that's kind of what you're looking for in the most part. But this is a guy who, this is not hyperbole to say, if he can put it all together and, you know, become an the zone corner that Pete Carroll can turn people into, he could be a fucking all pro. Yeah. Like legitimately he could, he has the talent to be best corner in the league type of uh, ability. It's just, he's got a, he's got a mountain to climb before he gets to that point. Well, and I don't want to jump the gun here either, but think about our secondary right now on paper and let's, let's throw these rookies. We just drafted in there. We've got, our two safeties, they're solid mm-hmm. in uh, Quandre, arguably, Quandre and Jamal. We have uh, arguably the two best safeties that we can have. Yes. I would say, you know, it, without a doubt, a top five safety duo in the league. Yeah, I would agree. And then you got guys like Trey Brown coming back off of injury. Who flashed a lot of promise before he got hurt. Yep, yep. And then uh, you, we've got the two corners that we just drafted. And let's say that they become what they need them to become. I really like that that five right there. And yeah. then we have uh, And we also have Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs locked up for a few years. So mm-hmm. they're not going anywhere in till like twenty twenty five. So I would like to think that our two safeties are gonna take these guys under their wing mm-hmm. and kind of show them the ropes of the culture here and just kind of what we're looking for. And honestly this Tariq Woolen, he's much faster than a guy like Brandon Browner, but I He's a good comp though. I in really in terms of size. When when I was watching the uh the uh early 2010 Seahawks, Brandon Browner was like one of my favorite guys to watch because yeah. he was really physical. He He was mean. He he would get in fights with people. Yeah, and he that was, was nasty. I was just like, damn, I don't remember us pushing guys around like that like remember when he got in a fight with greg jennings oh yeah that was hard to watch actually <laughs> it's kind of kind of fun to watch because <laughs> they made gifts about that and it was just uh it was it was great seeing him just bully him to the ground but but yeah you were gonna yeah well you watch some Tariq Woolen highlights um and he can he can smack people too because i mean th- like think of how many players at the skill position that he's significantly taller and bigger and stronger than like most of them. So, uh, he, he can lay the hammer. Um, he, you know, he's got to become a better tackler, got to get way better with his technique and more fluid. But 
the he, the things that he has are not things you can teach in anybody. You can't teach six four two zero five four two six. So that's why I'm so excited about this pick is because he's going and you know excited for his sake too because he's going somewhere where he's not going to have to start right away and where like Pete Carroll is the cornerback whisperer. So it's best case scenario for him to end up landing with us. So yeah, I I, I don't have um enough good things to say about this draft pick. Um and again, a weird case where there was what, 260 players drafted. I only zoned in on about 40 of those players, I would say, and we like six of our nine draft picks were of that 40. Mm-hmm. So it was very strange going through this draft process just being like, "Oh, I wanted that guy too." Um, yeah, I mean, you we've been watching the Seahawks for years, so I would say that, I mean, that is a kind of a fun coincidence mm-hmm. that you got a lot of them nailed right on the head. But at the same time, you know, I know what Pete Carroll's philosophy is and what right. he's trying to build and in Seattle. And I guess that's that was why initially when they drafted Charles Cross, I was like, huh. It was kind of a weird. non... It, I was like, is this a Shane Waldron pick? Like, Yeah, it, I just wasn't... I wasn't sold on Charles before we drafted him. But anyway, that's not... All that aside, like... I'm I'm just overall happy that the Seahawks didn't... Uh, they didn't really make any moves that were really head scratchers. I mean, you could argue that the Kenneth Walker pick was maybe a head scratcher, but really, when you when you look at it in retrospect, we do need another running back. Yeah, we need another guy in the backfield because Chris Carson broke his neck last year. Chris Shot- Carson, Chris Carson might have to retire. Yeah, I would. If I was Chris Carson, I would worry. And I mean, he already got paid. Mm-hmm. You're kind of making a huge gamble there with your. With your the, neck? With the rest of your life. Yeah. In playing for one more season and or two more, X amount of seasons, whatever you want to say. Mm. Um, but anyway, uh, getting back to the Tariq Woolen pick, I'm really excited. I don't know if I'm ex- as excited as I was, uh, as excited as you were, because um, you were wanting us to get this guy um, before we got him. But I definitely, looking at the numbers, I really like what I'm seeing. Mm. And... Um, I don't know. There's something about just those guys from small schools coming up and playing for us. There, it maybe gives them a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Yeah, um, the the underdog mentality. Yeah, and uh, I'm just I'm I'm excited to see what he can do for us on the defense. Yep, yep. Um, so right after that, the Seahawks selected Tyreek Smith. Um, this is not one of the guys that I was familiar with um, before the draft. Um, but you look at his combine measurables, good size. It's 6'3", 254, long arms, big hands. And he's younger, too. He's only 22. Um, the 4'8", 6'40", dash, there's not a lot to be excited about there, to be honest. Um, however, you know, I could think of another long-armed outside backer for us in K.J. Wright that wasn't too quick but had a very successful, long, great career with us. So who know- And was also a late-round pick, so... You never know with a guy like Tyreek Smith, but um, he got to play with Chase Young at uh, Ohio State. Um, he, he is not someone that I expect to have a ton of playing time next year, but it's good depth. And, you know, I I think one thing the Seahawks have really been missing just from their sheer lack of draft capital for years is they don't they haven't had a ton of depth. And I think. That's the biggest indicator of a good football team that has a chance to win it all is think of the preseasons from like 2012 to like 2014. The Seahawks were running laps around the other teams in the third quarter of the fourth preseason game because our talent level from one to 53 was just way better than every other team in the league. Um, We were hitting on all these draft picks. So I, I have no idea uh, what's going to happen with someone like Tyreek Smith, but um, one thing that excites me about him is that he did have a lot of pressures. Um, I forget the number. We'll pull it up in post, but um, he had a high number of pressures, and 
was also playing in the Big Ten. You know, that's that's elite competition. That's what I was going to say, too, is uh, the thing that caught my eye was just playing simply play for Ohio State. Yeah. And like we were saying about Cincinnati and Georgia and all these school, these big name schools is when you get a guy uh, playing for a team like that, that plays against a lot of the high talent level in the uh, in college football. It just, um, I guess it just brings me a little bit of reassurance um, that they can go up against all the best players. Uh, it gives me some, at least, some hope there yeah. in that regard. Um, but the, yeah. Sometimes with the smaller schools, you get the big fish in a small pond kind of situation. And I think that's what kind of maybe scared me a little bit about Trevor Penning, uh, for yeah, example. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, he was... Uh, a violent you know blocker but i don't know if that was because he played for northern iowa and he's not facing a lot of the elite competition because like how is he going to do against chase young yeah exactly and just overall the picks we made as far as the kids coming in from the big schools and the small schools like yeah uh like the previous pick we were just looking at, uh, Tariq, he, San Antonio, like we were just saying. I mean, had you ever heard of University Utsa? of Texas, San Antonio? No. No. Yeah, Utsa? No. <laughs> or but, the but Chattanooga? We, it, yeah, exactly. But that's the thing is we, we, we picked him in the fifth. You know, it, it might have been a reach at the second. I would have been okay with it. But, you know, I think the later round draft in the draft is when you take flyers on some small school guys that have crazy measurables because why the fuck not? It's a fifth round pick. How many fifth round picks can you name off the top of your head that did anything? I mean, I Richard Sherman is one of the top ones and Chris Carson's in the seventh. Um, I think Maxwell, Byron Maxwell was in the seventh. Um, but, but beyond that, how I, I could write a like book of all the fourth through seventh round picks the Seahawks have had in the last decade that didn't even ever, they didn't even make the team. I mean, do you remember Terry Poole? You probably don't, and I don't blame you for it. No. He was a fourth round draft pick, a guard. He got cut. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, anyways, um, when it comes to small school guys with, with uh, good athleticism, I mean, I, I think, yeah, take them if, if they're, they're freaks for sure. Um, I'm less inclined to take a small school player um, at quarterback that had really good production but doesn't have really good measurables. Like um, like a Brock, not a Brock Purdy. Um, who was the guy? Bailey Zappi. I think he ended up getting drafted before um, Sam Howell um, in the third. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he threw like 70 touchdowns to eight interceptions or something like that for a small school, but had really bad measurables. Anyways, moving on um, to maybe my favorite pick in this draft here for us. Um, it's hard to say. I, I really do like them all. But uh, anyways, yeah, Bo Melton out of Rutgers um, at round seven, pick 229. Now, this is someone uh, that was projected to go as early as the fourth round. And, you know, granted, after after round three, it, it's harder to project to project where guys are going to end up, but um, he's 5'11", 190, but you turn on film and he plays a lot bigger than that, and he looks bigger than that frame and like trucked some people. Um, and he has four three four forty yard dash speed and really good vertical at thirty eight inches. Um, but beyond that, uh, you turn on the film of Bo Melton, and he's got a lot to like in his game. He's very shifty, very, very quick, and has the home run gear. Um, and he can get up and win on jump balls, too. Well, Ryan, remember I was saying when we were, uh, when we were watching like highlights of this guy, he kind of reminded me of uh, Paul Richardson as far as his speed. And, I mean, you have it right there. Uh, kick, punt, return potential. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He's he's not the biggest guy out there, but he at running a four three four. That's yeah. That's nothing. that's legit. Yeah. Um. But I think um. You know the the reason why I'm excited about this guy, why I think he is gonna make the team, is he can even if he ends up being wide receiver six on the depth chart, he can be the kick and punt returner immediately, and mm-hmm. will be better than anyone on our current team than doing that. And 
That way we don't have to risk someone like a Dwayne Eskridge that was a second round pick on that duty. Um, yeah, I keep forgetting Dwayne Eskridge is on our team just because he was... He had a rough rookie year. And he's yeah. not that young either. He's 25 already. So yeah. hopefully he can turn it around next year. But yeah, I think Bo Melton, I would really like to see this guy beat out um, Freddie Swain. No, and that's nothing against Freddie Swain. You know, he's come in and done his job admirably. But the upside of Bo Melton is a lot higher. And um, I, I think it could turn into something special for us. Also, if you want to make yourself tear up, listen to John Snyder's draft call with Bo Melton. It is just like one of the most heartwarming things I've ever heard. He was so thankful that he got drafted. I bet you he was probably thinking that he might not even be playing in the NFL um, before he got that call. So mm. um, I'm, I'm excited about Bo Melton. I'm ready to get hurt again and have him maybe not make the team <laughs> as happens almost every year with our, you know, bottom of the depth chart wide receivers. Uh, yeah. I mean, you never know though. Cause like, as you were saying with Freddie Swain uh, and hoping he beats him out, I agree because I feel like I've seen all we've, all we can see from Freddie Swain. There's a reason why Freddie Swain hasn't made the leap. And like guys like DJ Dallas mm. and guys like that, like, when I drafted them, or when we drafted them initially, I was like, oh, cool. Maybe these are some diamonds in the rough that are going to amount to maybe huge contributors in our offense. And not to say that they haven't, but mm. have they jumped, made the leap and earned that starting job, earned that wide receiver two position that, you know, mm. they were probably hoping that they would get? No. Um, and I don't know. I. Well, when, when, you, when you, you ha- when you have a guy like Bo Melton who seems like this is all he ever wanted, I have faith that he's gonna probably do some great things in the preseason and training camp and uh, do everything he can to make this team. Not to say that other guys aren't trying as mm-hmm. as hard as him, but I don't know uh, when you get guys like like giving them that underdog narrative, uh, maybe thinking, oh, I they shouldn't be here, they shouldn't like be in the position they're in. That uh, that can be, I think, kind of dangerous to assume that about other players because that just fuels their fire. Like Exactly. Gets that chip on their shoulder. Um so yeah, I'm I'm excited about Bo Melton. I really hope he makes the team. Um but a few picks after that, we had our last pick in the draft at round seven pick two thirty three in Derek Young. And I had um, I had actually only heard of this guy because I saw that we had a pre-draft visit with him like a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. But I was like, what the hell is Lenore Rye? Like, what is that school? <laughs> I've never heard of this. Is that real? Is that like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I mean, you just look at his picture here. Like, that dude is built. Um, he's 6'3", 220. Um, has a 79-inch wingspan, ran a 4.4, and did 22 bench reps of 225 and a 37-inch vertical. Those are some high-end measurables there. Um, I don't think this guy has a chance to make the 53-man roster, but um, maybe he'll prove me wrong, and maybe both our seventh-round picks end up sticking in, you know, the rest of the the Aaron Fullers and Cody Thompsons of the world uh, go elsewhere. Um, but, uh, what's exciting about Derek Young is even though he's huge, he actually took a ton of handoffs in college. I, well, I noticed that down there, huge body wide receiver with dual threat, rushing, passing or rushing ability. Obviously that makes you think of one guy and one guy only in, uh, Debo. Debo. Yeah. And, and that's actually his, uh, most common, uh, NFL comparison mm-hmm. for his game. It, he's like a huge Debo Samuel, yeah. Or, but you know, obviously not as great, yeah. Which, at this point, by the way, side note, uh, do you think anyone's gonna trade for Debo? You know, I feel like if that was gonna happen, it would have happened. Maybe he was just making some noise before the draft to get a couple more millions. But we'll see. I mean, if a Debo trade does happen, it's gonna have to be for future draft capital, which is, I don't know. I think personally, you can't give up your future for a guy in Debo Samuel because the guy gets the guy has not played a full season in his career. And the way they use him, I mean, it, it, he's getting hurt like a running back cuz he's 
you can understand why he's asking for this money. Because yeah. he doesn't want his career to end before he gets paid. Yeah. And I totally get that. Yeah, and I you know, I I don't blame Debo at all for wanting that because you know, you, you have your your lifespan as an athlete with your peak physical abilities is really short. And that's something as I've gone through my twenties, um, I've noticed that, yeah, it's very fleeting. Um, so the guys that stick around in the NFL are not only are they elite athletes, but they just become so savvy at their position that they can keep up with 22 year olds when they're, you know, 34. Um, but anyways, uh, circle back with Derek young, um, intriguing pick, um, someone that was not uh, highly recruited or anything like that, but has crazy good measurables. Um, it's going to be a fun preseason. Hopefully he gets a ton of targets so we, we can see what he can do. Yeah, totally. Um, now, Ryan, I noticed, uh, obviously you did too, no one, well, we didn't take a quarterback. We did not. So do you think that opens the gates for a potential Browns cutting Baker Mayfield and us signing him. I mean, if they cut him and we sign him, sure. I mean, go for it as long as it's not like, and this is not to shit on Baker Mayfield, but don't sign him for anything more than a couple million on a one year deal because I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like we have a competition brewing right now between Geno Smith and Drew Locke which I'm fine with, you know, may the best man win. Hopefully, I think the team really wants Drew Locke to beat him out, but he, he's got to earn it. Um, I think if you throw another quarterback into the equation, it could get a little messy back there. Yeah, well, side note, by the way, last or two episodes ago, I was really upset about the Geno signing. Mm. And then I kind of learned a little bit more about the Geno signing and what was guaranteed and what was not. Basically, he's guaranteed about 500K. Yeah. And if he doesn't make the team, we lose 500K. Yeah, which is which like... Which is nothing. So I actually completely 180. I love the deal. I think it's a great deal. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, Geno Smith was not great last year, but he played better than about 10 quarterbacks that started all year. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. It, well, it can get a lot worse than Geno Smith. What was the game we were wearing the lime green jerseys? Was that the Rams game? That was the Rams game, yeah. Yeah, he almost, I mean, well, I don't want to say almost because when he went in and marched down the field, they were basically playing prevent defense. Yeah. We were, lo- we were going to lose that game. Yeah. But he still, like, looked efficient. Yeah, and, so. you know, he, the thing I, the about the only good thing I could say about Geno's play other than the lack of turnovers is that he fed DK the ball. And I think that should be... DK's a big dude, and he deals out punishment. He does not take it. He can handle the hits. I think we should feed him the ball like the Packers did Devontae Adams. Well, and before this draft, and yeah, pretty much when the DK trade rumors were a hot topic around the league, I was kind of on the board or on the side of... Yeah, we should trade DK because if we're doing a complete rebuild, why would we keep a young wide receiver who we're going to have to pay a shitload of money to in like what, a year or two? And this n- offseason hopefully actually. And now now that I really think about it, we should yeah, we should pay him this offseason because that trend is it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. It's so. only going to get more expensive the longer we wait. So I just think DK's presence in the locker room, I mean, now that he's a little bit seasoned with our team, he already was an intimidating guy Mm. before. I mean, he changes his hair color every week. He's a huge dude. He... He just has, he just has he's got that, that it he's, factor. he's got that it factor with his personality that I think, I mean, if I'm a 21, 22 year old wide receiver coming out of, uh, what was the school? Lenore Rye. <laughs> yeah. If I'm, if I'm this guy coming up to the Seahawks training camp, I'm looking to guys like DK to show me a thing or two. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I think, uh, looking back on it, I'm really glad that we did not trade DK because we just, we need cornerstones in that locker room. Yeah. And I think he, we start there. And I think there was really good receivers in this draft, but there wasn't another DK. 
No. There's it, I've never seen another DK. I mean, there's Calvin Johnson who was even bigger, but beyond that, I mean, uh, kind of Julio Jones, uh, it, I guess. But DK's huge, dude. <laughs> He's yeah. two thirty. Um. So we to echo off of what you were saying a bit earlier. Yes, we did not draft a quarterback. However, we did sign a rookie quarterback mm-hmm. in Levi Lewis out of Louisiana University. Um, I had never heard of this guy, um, but he's he's not a big guy. To put it frankly, he is the smallest quarterback I've ever seen in my life by a pretty significant margin. He's reportedly under 5'10 and weighs 185 pounds. I mean... Russell Wilson was said to be too small at 5'11 and 205. So this guy's got a real uphill battle to make it on a roster in this league. But you well, turn on the tape, um, and one thing that's it's kind of fun about watching him is he's he's sort of like a smaller Michael Vick because he's left-handed mm-hmm. and super, oh. super athletic. But he's actually, I you know, it, I, for someone with such a small frame, I don't know how he does it, but... He's got a gun, dude. He's got a little cannon. Well, I just got to say, uh, for all those, you know, 5'10", 180 in that region, uh, lefties out there, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm pulling for you because uh, that's, that's kind of what I'm at as far as the tipping scales or tipping the scales. Uh, I'm smaller than this guy, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pulling for him, you know, <laughs> as a, a mold of someone such as myself. Granted, I'm not as fast as this guy. Otherwise, I would be playing... Uh, football at the collegiate level somewhere but uh sadly i i am me and my skills so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no i'm i'm anytime you get a a new prospect like this i mean i think about guys like uh oh what was his name seneca wallace mm. uh i mean seneca he wasn't a big guy he no. was he was about as tall as russell yeah and i think he was i don't think he lighter too. he would because remember like he, 190. he would play receiver for us yeah. some games so which was always really fun yeah um but yeah no i'm i didn't really even know i remember you texted me this morning saying we uh signed an undrafted free agent and i was i didn't even see any headlines i mean the Seahawks uh, social media page didn't even post about it. So mm. I was uh, surprised when I heard about that. And then to hear uh, his size and weight <coughs> and just now you telling me he's a lefty, that is that does kind of remind me of a of a Michael Vick type mm. of type of player. I mean, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with this kid, but I think I'm really excited about it just because it's going to make the preseason fun. It's going to make it's it, hopefully they let him play in the preseason like in the last game or something but uh maybe he surprises us and maybe he beats out the two quarterbacks we've got back there and you never Drew Locke know and Gina Smith you never know it would be crazy it'd be crazy but um yeah the quarterback the first quarterback the Seahawks take post Russell Wilson trade is Levi Lewis out of Louisiana and we're all rooting for him oh yes so that's uh, pretty much it. There's more undrafted free agents we might go through on a future podcast. But um, yeah, to summarize it all up, I am super excited about the future. Um, I don't even really care how the 2022 season goes. I'm just excited to see the development of all these young kids. And I, I think the future is bright for the Seattle Seahawks. And this is the first time I could honestly say that in a few years. Yeah, yeah, Um. Very excited to, you know, turn a new leaf and see what Pete and John have brought in and see how they perform on the field out there. Again, going back to that offensive line, I'm that's what I'm most excited about because we haven't had a line to be proud of since we mentioned earlier trading away Max Unger and uh it sort of just all kind of fell apart after he was gone. Um mm-hmm. and just you know, the whole drama of last offseason when Russell saying he wanted to get be protected a little more. And I mean, I'm sure we were all wanting that. But now that we have those protection pieces up there, I'm excited for them to get to work and, you know, see what we got out of our first and third round, third picks. round picks. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Uh, I think the future is bright and we drafted two of the best pass protectors in the whole draft. So... It's a it's a new day 
for Seahawks fans, and I'm here for it. And maybe, just maybe, that was what Drew Locke was missing in his game. He just need a little. The guy just need a little protection. He just needed that and some Northwest salmon. Yep, so. and he's gonna throw 50 touchdowns next year. Bet. No interceptions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been episode four of the JR Takes Podcast. Thank you for listening. Yeah, no, this has been a lot of fun discussing the uh, the up-and-coming team, the youngsters coming in. Uh, but, yeah, we'll uh, probably be joining you guys again next week. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I've been Jonah Hoffman. And I'm Ron Rogers. Catch you on the next one.